Hey, one thing I want to... Remind you, in two weeks, we're going to start a brand new series in your worship folder. Um, you'll notice there's a card that says The Power of Thankfulness. It's a new series I'm going to do during the month of, of uh, November. And really excited about that. Listen, hear, hear my heart for a second. Gratitude changes everything. The day that you can truly cultivate a heart of thankfulness, everything changes. Your walk with God, your outlook on life, and even your relationships change when you come at life from a, an attitude of gratitude. And so I'm gonna spend some time in November really unpacking that, what thankfulness really looks like and how it impacts our lives. Um, today and next week, I want to wrap up my series called Follow Me. We've been looking uh, at Jesus' interactions with his disciples and what it says to us and the challenge that it makes on our lives as we seek, like the disciples, to follow Jesus. Today, I want to look at a story that uh, may be familiar to, to many of you if you grew up around the church. Uh, for some of you, it may be a new story. It is a, an incredibly powerful story and has so many insights to it, I could literally do a whole series on this story itself. But let, let's unpack it together today. I want to look at Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 35 from the New Living Translation. Uh, by the way, there are uh, New International Version Bibles in your pew, uh, both English and Spanish. And if you need a Bible, would like to take one of those home, that's our gift to you. If you have a friend or someone who needs a Bible, uh, feel free to take one to them. We want everyone to make sure that you have the Word of God. Let's look at the story. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was doing what? He was sleeping. He was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? <clears throat> and when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, read the question, why are you so afraid. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. I wonder uh, how many of us who are sitting here today or how many of us who are watching online, I wonder to how many of us would Jesus ask that same question today. Why are you so afraid? If God really is who we claim he is, and if God can really do the things we say he can do, it's a great question to ask. Why are we so afraid? You know, it's interesting, uh, in the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, there are 125 imperative statements that Jesus makes where he gives a command. And in those, out, out of those 125 imperative statements that Jesus makes, 21 of them have to do 
challenging this idea of fear. Uh, he says things like, don't be afraid, or fear not, or be of good cheer, or have courage. He, he says this 21 times. Now, that may not seem a lot, but it's the most, it's the most asked imperative, or the, it's, the, it's the most quoted imperative in, in all of the things that Jesus says. In fact, the, the closest one, only other, the second place is, is the command where Jesus says to love God and to love people, and that's only made eight times in the Gospels. 21 times Jesus says to us as his followers, don't be afraid. Now, why? Because fear is an incredible thief. Fear robs us of joy. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to be filled with fear and yet at the same time be walking in joy. Uh, Jesus said in John, he said, you know, uh, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it, how, church? More abundantly. In other words, Jesus wants us to walk in this abundant life that's full of optimism, full of hope, and full of joy, but you can't live in that vein if you are filled with fear. Uh, fear drains our energy. Um, if, you, if you ever th can think back to a time when you were afraid, it just saps the life out of you. You don't feel like doing anything. You don't, you don't feel like going anywhere. You don't, you don't feel like you know, stepping out. Fear drains our faith. Um, you know, when, when God is moving us to act, it, it's hard. It's hard to act in faith when you're filled with fear. Fear is like the antithesis of faith. You know, not that you're not being scared a little bit, but when we allow fear to control us, it just, it steals our faith away. In fact, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more next week uh, in the message, but we'll talk about the fact that I wonder, I just wonder how many opportunities that God wanted to accomplish through us here on earth that we miss simply because we're too afraid. Can I give you another one? Fear also, interestingly enough, when, when we really let fear take hold of us and we begin to panic, believe it or not, sometimes we actually bring about the very things that we're afraid of. Um, any of you who uh, can go back through your, your dating life and think of a boyfriend or girlfriend that you thought you couldn't live without, and you, you're afraid that they're not going to like you like you like them. And, and so you, you work way too hard to try to hold on to them. And what you discover is the, the harder you chase after people, you actually chase them off. Now, we have all this self-fulfilling prophecy. And sometimes, sometimes the things we cause in our panic are absolutely catastrophic. Um, let me give you a wild example. March 3rd, 1943 the air raid sirens went off in London, England. Uh, we were in the heart uh, of World War II. And Germany had been bombing London heavily. And when the air raid sirens went off, of course, you can imagine people began to be afraid. And they were looking for shelters. And there were several of them around the London area. One was the Bernal Green uh, Tube, uh, it's a subway, that they had just built right before the war started, but as soon as they got it, the, the tube itself, the underground tunnel built, uh, they ran out of money because the war started, and so they hadn't even laid track. So if you can imagine, it was a nice underground safe place for people to go. 
And when the air raid sirens went off and everybody's looking around, looking for the planes in the sky and they start hearing this anti-aircraft, you know, guns going off, uh, people began to flood toward the Bernal Green Tunnel. Um, there were a few buses that had been picking people up and they all came to that same tunnel. And if you can imagine, again, there's just this little doorway that goes down and there's 19 steps to the bottom of this thing and people are just beginning to, to crowd in. Have, have you ever been in a crowd where it's literally elbow to elbow people, you know, and people are all trying to get to one place? Well, they're starting down these stairs and, and, and all, as all these crowds are trying to flood in, people behind are, are wanting to go faster and faster. People begin to fear, I'm not gonna make it into the tunnel, it's gonna fill up. And all these things begin to fill the hearts and minds of people. At the bottom of the stairs, there was a woman who was carrying a small child who tripped and fell. And the man behind her who tried to grab her fell on top of her, an old man. And it began this domino effect because people were still pushing the crowd forward and everybody just began to fall right on top of each other. And at the bottom of this tube, it literally began a stack of bodies, 300 in number by the time it was all over. And people outside still pressing, trying to get in. When it was all done, the air raid sirens had gone off for like 15 minutes. And when the sirens stopped, it took three hours to begin to unpack the bodies, trying to get people out and untangled and out of the tube. In the final analysis, there were 173 people who died in the tube that night. 62 of them were children. Listen to this. But not one bomb was dropped. It was a false alarm. 173 people died. Listen very carefully. Not from bombs, but from fear. Fear can have catastrophic uh, results and catastrophic consequences in our lives. So let me ask you the question again. Why are you so afraid? You see, fear is going to steal you of everything you've got in this journey of faith. And Christ is calling us to give our fear over and to trust him. Now, I want to, I want to go back to this story. And I, and I want to give you a few thoughts that I, I hope will really help you and encourage you. And today, I want you to lock in on what is that that's in your heart that's causing you to be afraid? What is it that just kind of seizes control of you that you really need to face in faith and give to the Lord? Can I give you some thoughts? Are you ready? Track with me on your outline if you want to. Here's one of the things we learned from this story. God is already at work in that which you fear. God is already at work in that which you fear. This is so good. In the story, who had the great idea to go to the other side of the lake? It's, it's not a trick question. It was in there. Who, who came up with that idea? Yeah, Jesus did. Jesus was the one that said to the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, do you think Jesus had any idea there might be a storm? 
Do you think that he, he, he might have known in the back of his head, I mean, the Sea of Galilee in that area is known for these quick, violent storms that come up from time to time because of the way the wind currents go. Do, do you think Jesus might have? Sure he did. So before, get this, so before the storm ever happened, before they ever even got out on the lake, Jesus was already there. He was already there prepared for what was about to take place. Does that make sense to you? Now, here, here's a truth that I, I just want you to let this sink into your heart. I don't know what fears you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're looking down the road at that's causing you to be afraid. Here's what I do know. Everywhere you're going, God is already there. He's already there. I, I love the passage of Scripture uh, in Deuteronomy 31.6. It's the Lord speaking through Moses to the people before they ever went into the promised land. He says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, before these armies and cities that you're gonna face. Why? Read it out loud with me. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Did you catch that? For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. And what you discover as you, as you think about that verse in Deuteronomy is God had already done that for the people. You, you remember when he brought them out of Egypt and the people you know, leave Egypt and now they're heading to the promised land and no sooner did they get away when Pharaoh decided, you know what, I don't really wanna let them go. I'm gonna bring them back. And Pharaoh sends their army, and you remember, they, they got to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army's coming. And what did God do? Come on, how many of you know the story? What did God do? He parted the Red Sea. So before they ever even got to that place where they felt like they were trapped, because if you read the story, people began to panic. God was already there. God already knew what he was gonna do. He already had that path prepared. And so they crossed the Red Sea. And then they get beyond and they get to the, this place in the desert where they were, they, were, they were dying of thirst. And what did God do? He gave them water. Why? Because God was already there. Then they got to the wilderness. They were starving to death. And they were saying, we gotta eat, man. We ate, we had good food back in Egypt and God provided manna and God provided quail. So when they got to the wilderness, guess what? God was already there. Then they got to the Jordan River. Jordan River was the flood stage. How are we gonna get across? What did God do? He held back the waters. They were able to cross on dry land. Why? Because God was already there. Then they went into the promised land. They go to the Jericho, this well-fortified city, and they started marching around. And the walls came down, and they captured the city. Why? Because they were great marchers? No. Say it with me. Because God was already there. Now, I have no idea what fear may have captured your heart. But I can assure you that before you ever got the news that made you afraid, before you ever had to face whatever it was you're dealing with, this is what I do know. God was already there. And he will be there in the fears that are yet to come. Amen. In fact, I find it amazing sometimes how God can take things that we become so afraid of and actually work in the middle of them to do something incredible. Um, anybody love a good love story? I love a good love story. 
Back in 1945, there was a, a guy named Cliff. Uh, he was an associate pastor and did music. And he married his uh, fiance, Billy. And, uh, you know, they didn't have, they were associate pastors, they didn't have hardly any money and uh, didn't have, you know, couldn't make big plans. But he, he wanted to, to at least take a week and, and do some kind of honeymoon. So he had, a, uh, he had a friend who told him about this nice hotel down south that they could go to. And he had been there some years before. And he said, I think you'll like it. It's kind of a nice place. It's not real expensive. And so they decided to just go. Of course, you know, this is back before internet and cell phones where you're making ready. You just show up, you know, and you get there and go in. Well, they, they got to the hotel to find that it wasn't a hotel. It had been turned into some kind of rehabilitation center. And so now, I mean, think about this. You're the groom and you've drugged your bride cross country to this place and, and she's looking at him like, you putting me in rehab? You know, what, what, you know what's the deal? And, uh, and so when he talked to the manager, he said, you know, we need a place to stay. The manager said, I'm sorry, this is not an overnight facility. You know, we don't, we don't rent rooms here. And uh, so he didn't know what to do. So, so Cliff takes his, takes his bribe and they get out on the road. They start hitchhiking. They hitchhike several miles down the road to this, this store, this big grocery store. And they got there and they went in because they didn't know anything about the area. They went in and talked to the grocery store owner and they said, hey, we're newlyweds. We're just looking for a place to stay. Is there any place around here we could you know, rent a room? And the grocery store owner felt really bad for him. And he said, you know what? He said, I've got a room upstairs uh, in the second floor of this place. He said, it's not anything really nice or fancy, but you know, it's, it's a place and you can stay there for free. I you know, won't even charge you to spend the night there. And they, they were really grateful. And uh, they, they stayed, they spent the night there. And then the next day they got talking to the grocery store owner. He really liked them. You know, they're cute little kids and, and young, young couple. And he wanted, to, he wanted to do something nice. And so he, he said, you know, I've got a friend who owns a really big home. And they've got several rooms. And they love to entertain guests. And he said, I'll bet if I made a call, they would, they would give you a place to stay for the week. Because there, there aren't any other hotels around here. And they said, well, that would be wonderful. So the guy made the call, made the introduction, and that's what they did. They, 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 they stayed in this family who were also a great Christian family. And uh, the, the very first night that they stayed there, uh, the, the mother, the, the woman told the, the, that lived at the house said, hey, we're, we're going to a, a Christian youth rally tonight. Um, would you like to go with us? And they said, yeah, you know, and he said, I'm associate pastor. And he said, I'd, I'd love to do that. So they, they went and it was a great service and they really enjoyed it. The next day, they get, they get a call at the house and they tell this cliff, they said, hey, the guy who was leading music got violently ill and he can't be there. Would you be willing to lead music? And he's like, yeah. And they said, well, we, we'll even pay you. And he said, that's even better. You know, it's kind of, kind of a great deal. You man, I'm on my honeymoon. I still make some money. I, I like this. And so he did, and, he, and it was just a fantastic week, and the music went well, and he connected really well with the evangelist, and, and they, they had this, this great week where people got saved, and it was just such a great connection because that was the week that Clifford Barrows met Billy Graham, who was the speaker at that event. And Clifford became Billy Graham's leader in music for decades after that, all because everything went wrong. Are you getting this? Throw that picture up on the screen. It's a picture of Clifford Barrows with Billy Graham and, of course, crusades of thousands and thousands of people. Here's what I want you to understand. 
I don't know what your fear is, but this I know. God is already there, and he's doing things that you're not even aware of. Amen? Let me give you a second thought. Sometimes, like the disciples discovered, sometimes God is silent, but he's never absent. Sometimes God is silent, but he's never absent. How many of you have discovered, like I have, that there are times that it just seems like God is a million miles away? Anybody ever had that? How many of you find that, like me, very annoying that God, God does that? It's, it's just, it, it feels like sometimes, you're, you know, you're, you're crying out to God and you're not hearing anything. And, and it's like, God, why are you silent? Well, it's like Jesus, you know, he, he's, he's asleep on the bottom of this boat. The water's starting to come in and the disciples are starting to panic. And there's like, you know, what in the world are you doing? And sometimes it's hard to believe that God is really present when he is so quiet. But look at me. But just because God is quiet, it doesn't mean he's not there. Well, Steve, then why does God get silent? Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons. They're on your outline. One, he may be working. He may be working. And when I say he may be working, he may be working on your behalf. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where I'm, I'm just pounding the door of prayer, asking God for answers, and he's not answering. And I'm like, Lord, what in the world are you up to? And, 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 I, you know, and he doesn't respond, doesn't respond, doesn't respond. And then one day, not only does the door open, but God answers in a way that I never would have anticipated. There were things that God was putting in place that I wasn't aware of. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Why is he silent? Maybe working. Here's the second one, and this one's gonna hurt a little bit. Sometimes God is silent because he may be testing your faith. He may be testing your faith. That's why Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 7, he was writing to, to uh, the people there who were going through hard times. Read it, read it out loud with me. He says, these trials are only to test your faith to see whether or not it is strong and pure. Maybe test. Now, here's the deal. God doesn't test your faith because he doesn't know how strong your faith is. God tests your faith to show you where you're at in terms of your faith. Does this make sense? It's like, well, you know, it's not, it's not like God is a teacher giving you a test because he doesn't know how much you really know and how much you don't know, and he's got to figure all that out. That's, that's, that's not the deal. You see, sometimes we're like the disciples. The disciples have been following Jesus for a while. I mean, they, they had been tracking with Jesus. They had seen him do all kinds of cool stuff, but now they were on the inner circle, and you know, it's real easy when you feel like you got the inside track with God. It's real easy to feel like you're already there. You've already arrived. And, you know, they, if you follow the storyline with the disciples, they often kind of get very full of themselves. Well, here they are on this boat, uh, these great men of God, and the storm comes up and water starts into the boat and Jesus isn't responding. And all of a sudden, how do they respond? Do they, do they, do they quietly walk over and tap Jesus 
and go, you know, we think we might be able to use your help here? Um, or or did, they, did they say, hey, we've done all we can do. Uh, we're depending on you. No, 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 no. Look, look, look at how the scripture describes it. It says now the water is filling, filling up on, on the boat. It says the disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're gonna drown? Now, doesn't that sound like men of faith? You see, these guys who said, you know, we'll follow you anywhere. We know you're the Messiah, all of that. All of a sudden, this faith they claim to have, when, when the litmus test was put to it, you know what? Their faith wasn't nearly what they thought it was. Now, please hear my heart. I think there are times that we face things that we're afraid that actually it's a time of revelation for us, of God showing us, you know what? There's still a lot of room here for you to develop that faith. It's a time of testing. And third, sometimes, sometimes God, when his silence, may be trying to draw you near, maybe trying to draw you near. Um, now I mentioned some time ago the fact that we, that we sometimes drift from God. You know, we, we, we don't usually take long, quick leaps away from God, but it, it's in easy on our journey with God to sometimes just begin to drift away and to not depend on him as much, not turn to him as much, not pray to him as much, kind of take control of life for ourselves. And sometimes we're not even aware that that's happened. But, but what happens when we hit that trial, we hit that storm, all of a sudden this fear comes in. What, what happens to us? We do like the disciples, don't we? we? We run to God and we go, God, we need you, we need you. You see, sometimes I think God uses these trials to draw us back to close relationship with him when we've drifted. He's silent, but he's not ever absent. He's always there. Can I give you another one? God uses our fears to strengthen and grow us. God uses our fears to strengthen and grow us. Now, I'm, again, I'm gonna unpack this a little bit more next week when I talk about Jesus and Peter walking on the water and all of that. Um, but, but I wanna hit this for just a second because I mentioned some time ago about the fact that faith is a muscle. And the only way that faith really develops is for that faith to be challenged. It didn't take any faith on the, on the disciples' behalf to stand with Jesus, sit with Jesus in a boat that's right next to the shore. It didn't take any faith for them to believe they were gonna be okay. Get that boat out away from shore in the middle of the, of the lake and the storm comes up. Now, all of a sudden, now they have to exercise faith. And that's what happens. We have to be foot in places where we have to exercise faith in order to develop faith. Does that make sense to you? Um, I, I love, here's how, here's how Paul puts it. Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We know that they are what? Say it out loud. Good for us. These problems are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Read it with me. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us to trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Our hope and faith are strong and steady. How many of you would like God to describe your hope and faith as strong and steady? Hold your hands up high. Now hold, keep them up. <clears throat> God, I want you to look at all these people with their hands up. 
I want you to bring problems to them this week. (laughs) Some of you are going, I really hate you sometimes, Steve. (laughs) But it's those problems that Paul says makes us strong. Now, we'll talk more about that next week. I I saw this picture. Some of you have seen this quote, but I, I love it. Throw it up on screen. Fear has two meanings. Forget everything and run or face everything and rise. And that's what God desires to do. Have you face your fears and rise. Amen? Amen. Let me give you one last piece in the story. This is just so good. Our fears reveal the greatness of God. It's our fears that reveals the greatness of God. Look at me. It's when you're in those places when you are so afraid that you discover who God is and what he can do. It's in those places of fear that you discover who God is and what he can do. You know, when I was studying this week, one of the things that hit me is I just began to track how Jesus revealed himself to his disciples throughout the book of Mark. And it's really interesting to me. I put some of this on your outline for you. Just walk with me for a second. In Mark chapter one, you see that Jesus demonstrates that he has power over disease. At Mark 1, you, you see the story of a leper who comes before Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me well. What does Jesus say? I am willing. And he be clean and he heals the leper and, and he heals a paralyzed guy. He, do, he does all this thing and, and, and the disciples are like, wow, this guy that we're following, man, he's got authority. He's got power over disease. That was a, that was a revelation. Mark chapter two, you, you see this group of friends bring this paralyzed guy. Jesus is in a house teaching and they tear off a piece of the roof and they lay the guy down at Jesus' feet. You remember that story? And so Jesus sees this paralyzed guy. All the crowd is watching. And then what does Jesus say to the paralyzed guy? Your what? Say it again, Roy. Your sins are forgiven. If your sins are forgiven. Again, you got to understand how amazing this was. People were going, you what? The religious leaders were going, what right do you have to say this? Nobody can forgive sins but God. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus knew in their hearts what they were thinking. And Jesus said, what, what, what do you think? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier for me to say, rise, pick up your pallet and walk? And Jesus said, just so you know that I can do that, watch this. Pick up your pallet and walk. And the guy stood up. And all of a sudden the disciples realized this guy's not just have power over disease. He's got power over sin. Mark chapter four, the story we just read, Jesus calms the wind and the waves. He shows that he has power over nature. And the guys, are, they're, they're looking at each other when, when Jesus does this and they go, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? Who is it? He's the creator. 
He made the wind and the wave so he can command it. Amen? He, he made it. They show he's over, he's over nature. Mark 5, you see him, he meets this demoniac and he casts these demons out. He showed that he had power over demons. In Mark 6, you see him taking just a few loaves of bread and fish and feeding thousands. He, he showed that he can meet whatever need that we have. He can multiply it and make it happen. In Mark 16, he puts put to death and he rises from the dead. He is power over the grave and death. Did you get this? Power over disease, power over our needs, power over the demons that plague you, power over nature, power over your circumstances, power over death itself. Look at me, church. So why are we so afraid? If God could do all of that, why do we fear? I'm gonna ask my prayer partners if they would go ahead and come to the front. In just a moment, Rachel's gonna lead us in a, just a, a great song that reminds us that he really is the God of the wind and the waves. And we don't have to be afraid. I don't have any idea what storm you may be facing. I have no idea what fear you may be dealing with. Here's what I do know. God is greater. God is greater. And this morning, while we sing this song, I, I wanna just give you the opportunity you know, to have someone pray with you if you'd like, for whatever it is that you're facing, just to come alongside of someone and just let them voice a prayer for you, to, that God would give you faith to face your fears that God would give you courage, that God would work in your circumstances according to his will and purposes for your life. And this morning, man, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it's time. You know, you don't have to walk through this world all alone. You don't have to face all the chaos and trouble that this world offers all on your own. Jesus stands before you today with open arms, Come to me, all of you who are weary, heavy with burden. I'll give you rest. Jesus offers you grace, forgiveness, strength today. Whatever you need, Jesus is here for you. So while we sing that, I'm gonna step down to the floor. We got four of us up here at the front. We'd count it a privilege to pray with you over anything that you've got going on in your life. You feel free to come and we'll pray with you. Fathers, we come before you today. We're so grateful. The promise of your word is that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Not only that, but we discovered this morning, Lord, that you actually go before us, that you don't wait until we're there. You're already there waiting on us. Father, I know that there are a lot of us that are walking through very trying times. And I can't help but believe that there are many of us in this room, many of us watching online, who are struggling with fear right now. And Father, I pray that you would draw near to us today that you would help us to not run from those fears or allow those fears to control us, but that you would help us to face those fears. 
to know that you are greater than any storm we find ourselves in, greater than any circumstance, greater than any disease, greater than any need, that you hold us in the palm of your hand. And so, Father, today, help our hearts to find rest by putting all of these fears upon you. And in its place, oh God, would you do something for us? Would you fill our hearts with faith so that we might cling to you all the days of our life? We love you, Father. Thank you for being the Lord over our storms. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.